Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Welcome to Rosemont's Global Investment Leaders podcast. I'm Brad Mook, and my guest today is Philip Cook, the managing partner and CIO at Southern Sun Asset Management. Southern Sun is an employee-owned, long-only equity manager founded in 1989 and based in Memphis, Tennessee. The firm runs about a billion dollars in concentrated U.S. small and SMIDCAP strategies. Southern Sun bears attention for several notable achievements. For starters, it has demonstrated considerable staying power in an industry where boutiques come and go with regularity. In addition, it has successfully managed multiple equity transition events and is now 100% employee-owned, having bought itself back from AMG a few years ago. Finally, the firm just put the capstone on its long-planned management succession strategy, announcing Philip as managing partner and CIO and Angela Wimmer as president. Rosemont has had a front row seat for much of Southern Sun's journey, including playing a direct role in its ownership history as minority equity partner before AMG. My conversation with Philip ranges topics and provides insights and color on how the firm has strategically approached key existential areas such as competitive positioning, functional leadership, and ownership. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Well, Philip, thank you for joining me today. I've been looking forward to our conversation for some time. Our firms go way back, and uh, I have my own experience with Southern Sun outside of Rosemont, and I've always had a lot of respect for the firm and, and what you guys have done. So I appreciate you joining me today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. So before we dive in on Southern Sun, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Sure. So I uh, grew up around the business. My father actually started S Southern Sun in the late 80s. So uh, I was a young man when he started this firm and grew up around investing. Um, I actually worked in private equity prior to joining Southern Sun and have now been with Southern Sun for 17, going on 18 years now, and uh, have a strong passion for investing. That's awesome. I suspect you had a lot of conversations in the household growing up. Absolutely. So now let's turn to Southern Sun um, with, with just that little bit of backdrop, because um, you've been there a while, you said. Tell us about the firm. Where is it? Uh, what size is it at a high level? What does it do? Just you know, fill in some of that context. Yeah, sure. So Southern Sun is a boutique investment manager. We really focus on smaller public companies in the U.S. So we run two strategies with significant overlap between the two, uh, a small cap strategy and a smid cap strategy. Same investment team, same philosophy, approach, process, all of that, uh, really putting our efforts into finding uh, the most unique uh, most attractive long-term investments that we can find building concentrated portfolios in the small and smid space. We're based in Memphis, Tennessee, have been since we were founded almost 35 years ago. Uh, we run just over a billion dollars and uh, have a team of 17 people here at Southern Sun. That's great. And the firm's always done the same thing, right? Philosophy process effectively haven't changed over time. Correct. That philosophy and process created by my father prior to his Southern Sun days has been the backbone of the firm since we began. What was his background? Did you uh, tell us a little bit about how he started the firm, if you remember? Yeah, I think he started the firm more out of curiosity and passion and interest than he did out of uh, background. 
So his father, my grandfather and great-grandfather, they're all in the construction business. So as a teenager throwing bricks, uh, they were all brick masons. So growing up, working in that environment, he quickly decided that that was not what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. So he actually studied philosophy, uh, very interested in history, and began down that path uh, and really worked with other individuals who he had respect for who were in the investment business sort of piqued his interest in investing. And he learned sort of in a roundabout way how to invest uh, in a way that made sense logically and philosophically for him. Uh, that's what led to the concentrated portfolios. That's what led to this idea of being a partner with management teams and really thinking like an owner of a business rather than a, a trader of businesses. And that is how he got his foundation. He worked his way up through some uh, some different asset management firms in the 80s and then ultimately started uh, Southern Sun in, in 1989. And did he get a start by, you know, local clients, people that he knew and, and running some money for family and friends? Correct. Or was it, I mean, is it an institutional client base, right, at this point? It is at this point, but yes, absolutely. And that goes back, uh, you know, that those initial investors also had equity in Southern Sun. And so I'm sure we'll, we'll at some point touch on the equity story of, of Southern Sun. But from our beginning, we had outside equity owners. Uh, and that's why it was such a momentous occasion for us as a firm back in 2020. So just three years and change ago, we bought ourselves back from our outside owners and became 100% employee owned for the first time in the firm's history. Yeah, it's, that's amazing in several decades. Yes. Uh, and and given its start that that's uh, the first time it's been 100% employee owned. But let's put that on ice and we'll circle back to that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the business strategy. You talked about the the genesis of the firm and um, and how the product strategy developed. What is it in your mind that the firm does really well? I'm always fascinated with small boutiques that are concentrated and know what they do well and and just kind of you know hammer that nail over and over again in the marketplace, doing what they love and what they're good at and um, deriving competitive advantage through that focus. Yeah. So what, what is it in your mind? For sure, it's a, an intersection of our passions, what really wakes us up in the morning, what we feel like uh, we love to do, but also what we believe we can be the best in the world at. There's things that I'm passionate about, like baseball, and I'll never be the best in the world at baseball. Um, but I do believe that, that what we're doing in the small cap space is something we can be the best in the world at and also something that our firm is very passionate about. So that's where it starts. Uh, I think one of the things that makes us unique is our deal sourcing uh, or our new idea generation, depending on the nomenclature used. We, uh, I'll give you an example. So a common structure of, of finding new deals would be an outgrowth of our process. So we are very active and hands-on uh, in our research. We're out at trade shows. We're out at facilities. We're visiting with competitors and suppliers, trying to understand an entire value chain in an industry. Um, so years ago, uh, around when I started, actually, uh, we were at a 
facility of one of our portfolio companies, Smithfield Foods, which was one of the largest hog producers in the world. Um, at the time, they were a, a publicly traded company. Walking through a facility at Smithfield, we're talking about pain points. We're talking about where their inefficiencies are, where their efficiencies are. One of the, one of the topics of conversation was the back end of the hog production process, the rendering. What do they do with the leftovers that they don't sell? And historically, that was a market where protein producers did their own rendering because they had to, not because it was a business that they felt like was very valuable. They wanted to be in the business of selling their proteins to the consumers. Um, there's only one publicly traded rendering business in the U.S. So when we, after having that conversation, we come back and we look up Darling Ingredients we figure out that Darling indeed is in our small cap space. Sometimes you have those conversations and the interesting company is a, a private Italian company and it's not investable for us. But on occasion, we find a publicly traded small cap business that fits our criteria. So we start doing our homework. We start getting to know that management team. We start understanding the value chain around that business, who their competitors are. And through that work uh, over time, we can identify unique businesses with great management teams that we can own for a long time. And in the case of Darling, uh, which is currently our largest holding in the portfolio, we've owned it for, I mean, as long as I've been here. So for about 17 years. And that is, I think, something that we do uh, that's unique and produces a portfolio that's different than uh, what you would get off the shelf. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that resonates. Um, when I was at SEI prior to Rosemont and looking at small cap managers for the SEI portfolios, I uh, spent a fair amount of time with uh, your father, Michael Cook, and with Mike Cross yeah. and getting to know the philosophy and the process. And, I, you know, I talked to hundreds of small cap managers and most of them say they're differentiated through their, their research and their field work. Um, but in the conversations with your investment team, it really did. Re it really did um, resonate that that the work was being done, and with particular insights that a lot of other folks don't have. I mean, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but Mike Cross was a division head at Cummins, um, correct. And some of the insights that he had gotten as an operator uh, were ones that he could apply to conversations with, uh, you know, plant man plant uh, managers and and folks like that and, and get insights that, that others might you know, not. So, I, and to that, yeah, go ahead. to that end, I would just say that I do think that our team and our varied backgrounds also differentiate us. We don't have anybody on our team that comes from the traditional public equity background. Uh, so we have a, a five member team um, that has been together for a long time and nobody comes from that traditional background. We all come from different perspectives, me from private equity, Mike Cross from, from industry, Jim Dorman from real estate, Tred Thompson worked in private company valuation and was a CPA before that. So we all come at the table, I think, in a unique, uh, with a unique framework for investing. So how do those uh, diverse viewpoints reconcile at the investment table? 
who, who, how are decisions made and does ultimately somebody have a final call or after a while, have you learned to arrive at consensus with, with, with uh, meaningful debate, but not disagreement and conflict? Yes, that is a great question. As you know, just this week, uh, we announced that I am taking over the CIO role for my father. We've been co-CIOs for a few years now. Uh, obviously, this is something that we've been working on for 17 years now, uh, really more working on it for the last decade or so. Um, and so the short answer is I make the investment decisions and have for, for a few years now. Our team is very active in the process together. Um, but part of what I think is unique about our story is that when my father came up with the idea of developing an investment team that could institutionalize Southern Sun and far outlast his years in the business. His, you know, on his scratch piece of paper, he had the idea of having a team making team decisions. And we learned the hard way. You can look at our performance. You would know and others listening can look back and see our struggles in 2014 and 2015 as we were trying to build a team framework for decision-making. And again, we learned the hard way that we needed to shift course. I think it's super important to have long-term plans as a firm, but you also, we expect our management teams to be adaptable. Uh, we have to be adaptable as well, and we had to adapt. And what came out of that was my leadership. And so really starting in 2016, I took more direct leadership of the investment team, of the investment process, and really building out and filling in gaps in our risk management. So that journey led us to a place where decision-making was consolidated, but we kept all the good stuff of having a team that works together. Uh, that was clunky. But I think the, the exciting thing for us is it, it put us in a position to buy our firm back, and now it puts us in a position to be better than we've ever been because we know who we are. We've made it through that transition that was inevitably going to be complicated, and we can look out into the future, and our clients can know what they're going to get from Southern Sun, and, and that is really important as we think about alignment with clients and prospects. Yeah, that that's fascinating. The, that transition, and I remember when that was going on. Um, how was that received by clients? How do you communicate something like that in real time? And do you have the benefit of the doubt that your clients say we understand and we'll get to the other side of the valley with you, believing in what you do? And now you've been doing it for seven years this way, right. so now it, it should be baked into the to the process. Yes. Uh, yes. How do we How did we communicate at the time? Imperfectly, I'm sure. Um, you know, life is is full of lessons, uh, mostly coming from our mistakes. So most certainly, we didn't do it perfectly. But I do think that we communicated well that we were on a journey. We were on a path to move from a one man show for our first 20 years to a team. And what we have achieved is the success of the team. And now we have clarity around decision-making. Um, and that 
has led to, I think, much better transparency, much better clarity for our prospects and clients. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important for building a business. We are trying, we're not trying to capture the whole world. There's, I read something this morning that there's $107 trillion of, of public equity out there. And we're not trying to capture 10% of that. We're sitting here in Memphis, Tennessee, managing a billion dollars, and we can grow a very successful enterprise that's going to be durable for a long time by only finding like-minded partners. And so we've got to communicate clarity and transparency. We've got to be held accountable and really build authentic relationships. And we can afford to do that in the boutique environment that we exist in. And because we've made it through that transition, now we can provide more and more of that clarity to the prospects uh, and the relationships that we're building out in the marketplace. Yeah, no doubt. I I feel the same way about Rosemont. We're not trying to take over the world. Right. We're trying to build a few relationships that really matter and that can be effective. And if we're successful in that, you know, we don't have to win the macro game. Yeah. We just do well by our partners. Your point about transparency and being willing to acknowledge learning processes and grow, I think is is very important as well. I always found managers that liked to act like they didn't make mistakes or wouldn't admit where they've misstepped. Nobody really has all this stuff figured out. I, you know, the phrase, nobody knows nothing. I, I, I think everybody's trying to figure it out. And those that are focused on optics and building facades are focusing on the wrong things. So the the ability to show some of the warts and say, we don't have it all figured out, but here's where we are, here's where we're trying to go, and here's here are the steps that we're taking to get there. And you know, here's where it didn't really work as well as we would have liked and what we've done about it. Uh, to me, that always gave me great confidence in the investments that we were making. And it's true today, too, with the partners with Rosemont. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everybody's trying to get better and do it as best they can. And the, the ability to really understand what's going on comes from that transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. Right. And that's a really hard thing to do when you're out in the institutional marketplace trying to hold on to clients. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that to be genuine requires that you have a culture that's authentic, that's transparent, that's accountable. And I think building a culture takes a very long time. So it's very hard to fake authenticity. And most people are relationally savvy enough to know when somebody's just feeding it to them. So we've built a firm over a long period of time that, that is sort of built on the foundation of trust. And if we can't have trust with our management teams, how can we hold them accountable? How can we expect them to be transparent with the issues that are going on? We're long-term investors of these businesses. We're really thinking like long-term owners of these businesses as if it's our private money and we're owning, we're owning a business that we can't get out of tomorrow. Now, we have the advantage of daily liquidity, but our framework is built around a, an authentic relationship with the management team where we can talk about the challenges that are happening in a very difficult market that we're facing right now. This is a very confusing market where there's headline figures, there's, there's uh, 
particular companies in the, the large cap space that are performing exceptionally well. There's a lot of businesses that are not performing well, um, that are being masked by, by others. So how do we really get to the truth? We expect that from our management teams and we have to expect that from ourselves. So a couple of things that we talk a lot about um, in addition to those authentic relationships is really having a, a foundation of trust that can be built off of. And that goes to relationships with coworkers, relationships with management teams, clients, prospects, industry experts that we build relationships with. We have a lot of relationships with folks that are in the industries that are relevant to Southern Sun. And we have to have something that's more durable and less transactional. That's hard to build. And I think we've done a good job of, of doing that and sort of believing that we can learn from anybody. And that takes some level of humility. So let's circle back to what you guys do well, because you just touched on it with building the relationships and the network in the industries and um, having authentic relationships in and around the investment process. Um, you do U.S. Small and SMID. Does what you do translate up cap you know, why I know it's hard to get edge in a highly efficient market like large cap, but could you do what you do up cap or overseas? I, I have to think you have knowledge of the industries and the ability to have the insightful conversations to gain insight on how businesses are doing and what their investment prospects are. I think maybe one time you had a global product for a little while. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts on that versus just staying specialized on your niche products and finite capacity? Yeah, um, good question. We did run a global strategy from 2005 until 2020. So for 15 years, we had the same seed investor that, that seeded the strategy, a concentrated global strategy that used the research efforts that we do, where we're traveling all around the world, understanding where our businesses are operating and who they're operating against and what their supply chains look like. So naturally, the work that we do on U.S. businesses takes us outside of the U.S. And the idea was certainly we could identify businesses in those geographies that fit the Southern Sun framework. We obviously did that well enough to keep uh, a large institutional client happy for 15 years. But we decided in 2020 when we bought the firm back to shut that strategy to shut that strategy down and focus on our U.S. strategies. In part because we believe the U.S. economy has a tremendous opportunity set for the next 20 years. Just a really differentiated economy. It's a great place to do business. We think there will be a long tail of opportunity for reshoring or onshoring of manufacturing. As you know, we've for 35 years had an overweight to industrials, overweight to consumer businesses, material sectors. Those are sectors we spend a lot of time in. And we think that the U.S. is the best place to participate over the next uh, couple decades. So for us, part of it was where is the opportunity set? But part of it, frankly, has to do with what can we be best in the world at? Uh, again, I'm a, a sports guy. I love baseball. 
watching Shohei Otani be incredible, an all-star at pitching and an all-star at hitting is unheard of. In a century plus of baseball, it's absolutely something to marvel at. There's a reason why that's so difficult. Within one specific sport, it's incredibly difficult to be good at more than one position. <laughs> then you take it beyond that sport and think of why Dion is such a phenomenon in sports right now and why everybody's following Colorado football. Part of it has to do with how incredible it was for Dion to be excellent at football and baseball at the same time. I grew up with a lot of guys playing sports, myself included, and, and we're good at multiple sports because at that level, you can be good at them. You can be good in high school at multiple sports, less sports in high school than you were in elementary school. But as you get to college, as you get to the pros, you really have to narrow what you're going to be great at. So could we be a, a high schooler, if you will, and be good at running five or six different strategies? Maybe. But if we want to be a pro, if we want to be an all-star, we really are going to have to focus on, on a few things we can do really well. And that was uh, really the reason why we narrowed our focus to U.S. Small and Smid. Yeah, good point. It's it's hard to be pro in one sport, let alone two. And even Michael Jordan couldn't really do it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, um, so last question on the, the business strategy piece. Uh, given the nature of what you do um, and the concentration of the portfolios, uh, somewhat higher tracking error portfolios perhaps than might be appropriate for everybody, I suspect you have to be thoughtful about your clients who they are, do they understand what you do? Are they likely to add or withdraw at the right times versus the wrong times in some of the performance cyclicality that might occur? And how do you think about distribution in a, in a world where everybody seems to want and need bigger distribution to drive growth? You know, you said you don't have to take over the world to be successful, but, but what does that client cultivation process look like for you in terms of finding the right clients and making sure that your existing clients are the, are the priority? Yeah, I think that it goes back to that, the quality of relationships that we spoke about earlier. I think that you, one has to have a long-term framework, just like we have a long-term framework for owning a business, we have to have a similarly long-term framework for building client partnerships. I think the base of business we've built understands very clearly what we do, how we do it, who's doing the work, when we're going to perform well. They're going to understand that we might have uh, quarters that are exceptional and quarters that underperform, and their time horizon and their framework matches ours. So building those relationships, being very clear with folks about what we do and how we do it is essential. And uh, I think that it ties into why we only run a couple strategies. Because my job running 
our clients money and being exceptional at it is going to be difficult if I'm running a business with 20, 30, 40, 50 billion in assets with a whole portfolio of strategies because I can't build those relationships with our clients um, and not and run the money at the same time. So because I'm super passionate about investing and I really want to have genuine relationships with our client partners, there's only so much capacity for doing that. So we've got to find a handful of like-minded individuals out there to partner with us on this journey where we can go out and, and generate a unique return for them that will drive value for what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that all goes hand in hand. Yeah, that makes sense. That's also a good segue to um, talk about the news that you've released on cha management changes within the organization, which you alluded to earlier um, with yourself uh, being named a CIO and managing partner, I believe and Angela being named president. Um, can you talk a little bit just about the thought process around structuring as you are going forward, right? Because it seems like there's some thoughtfulness with respect to you being able to focus on investing and have help on the business side of the house and, and approach it that way. Yeah. So one thing my father and I sat down and talked about over 17 years ago when I, when I started at Southern Sun was we have to be thoughtful in how we think about, because succession is, is, has multiple prongs to it. One is people and the other is the ownership structure. Um, at the very least, those are two critical paths and we've got to be thoughtful about both. So on the people front, we set up a management team I don't know, 14, 15 years ago to help run the firm so that whoever at that point in time, my father, now myself running our client's money doesn't have to uh, also, we don't also have to run the business day to day. So we set up a management team to run the business over time. Angela has taken more responsibilities and continues to take more responsibilities. So that's why we, we named Angela uh, president. She's already a member of the management team. She's just taking on additional responsibilities. My father is moving to a chairman role and he will remain on the management team. So still very involved in who Southern Sun is and what we do and how we do it and engaging with clients in that capacity. But more than anything, He's focused on the things he's most passionate about, which is new idea generation, research, reading, developing relationships with executives in the industries that are most relevant to, to Southern Sun. So he will remain active in the business, but really in the areas that he's most passionate about while I continue to run the day-to-day -day of the investment team, the investment process, and managing our clients' money in that capacity. But this has been a long journey. Uh, it was not marked up 17 years ago that this is where we would be. But we started communicating, I think appropriately communicating to clients 13, 14 years ago that we were on this path uh, 
towards building a team that would survive my father. And so to get here to where we are today, where he's able to move into this role and focus on the stuff that he loves the most and leave the day-to-day to to myself and the existing management team is pretty exciting for him because it means as as sort of clunky as it's been, we did it. And and here we are. You can see the results over the past seven or so years since I took more of a leadership role on the investment side. And we can point to that and say, okay, we can do this and we're ready for that next chapter. Yeah, it's it's a great example um, of how to do it right. And I, I always say life doesn't move in a straight line. So it's not, you know, it's not going to be without any hiccups. Um, but the way that you've approached it, I think, has been very thoughtful and something that we've had a lot of respect for. Some of the principles that we talk about a lot are one, a balance of leadership and not just having a, a number of firms have an investor as the head person who calls shots across the whole business, but they're passionate about the investing side and that gets all the attention. And so the, the commercial side, if you will, of business development operations is an afterthought. Um, it helps to have that balanced leadership. And so I think you're being thoughtful around that um, with yourself and Angela. And the other is the, the long-term evolution of succession. And you mentioned both ownership and management. Um, that functional succession, no surprises, no big step functions. Yes, you make a news release, but it reflects something that's already pretty much been right in the works and developing over time. And so clients shouldn't be surprised by what you've announced because you telegraphed it for a long, long time. And now you're being true to your word, which goes back to the authenticity. Um, And we don't see a lot of successful succession stories in the industry. And I think one reason is because people put it off too long and then have to make a sudden change. And that's very disruptive internally, externally, um, and, and it's hard as an investor or a client of the firm to kind of stitch together, you know, what cause and effect and attribution when you have things moving in such a significant and rapid way. So I, I think you've done well on that. Uh, and another aspect to this is your father and son, right? So there could be a question around nepotism. And this is something that Rosemont has has written about because, there's there's a fair amount of familial relations within boutique firms in our industry. And sometimes it's a, a pretty, uh, how do I say it? it? Sometimes it doesn't work all that well because it can be um, done poorly or for the wrong reasons or alienating to other folks at the firm. And I think in, in Southern Sun's case, it's a success story. It's one that's been done well and understood by clients and colleagues. So can you just touch on that a little bit and, and kind of how that has taken shape? And you know, I, I suspect now your colleagues are, are pretty happy to have you as their leader, but you know, was that always the case? And, and you know, what, what does that journey yeah. look like? <laughs> that's a great question. And you're exactly right. I mean, we're as aware as anyone that the playbook for success in a boutique firm making a transition uh, is less than clear. Every firm has their own unique characteristics and challenges, and most don't do it well. You add on the familial relationship and you add a layer in there. 
never would uh, my father and I have envisioned it being as challenging as it was to get to where we are today, to be totally transparent. It is not an easy journey. And sitting here on this side of it, both of us can shake our heads and say, I can see why most firms don't make it to this side. Um, it is not easy. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of humility, uh, a lot of, of giving and taking. Um, and, you know, we've been able to produce good, acceptable, maybe better than acceptable investment performance for our clients for a long time. We have good uh, investment performance track records over the long, long time and even over the last three, five, seven years uh, since I've been in, in this leadership role. So we've been able to produce that. And that's with the distraction <laughs> of trying to figure out how to navigate this transition on the people side, which is what we're talking about now, but also on the ownership side. We always had outside owners. So sitting here today and knowing that we were able to make it through makes me that much more confident in our investment performance going forward because it's all we have to do now. <laughs> we don't have to do that other stuff anymore. So I just picked up however many hours a week to focus on what we really get paid to do. And that's super exciting, not just for me and my father, but really uh, invigorating for our firm. Our firm, our, our, my coworkers know where we're going. They know what to expect. They know who owns our firm. They know who leads our firm. So all those question marks that we might have had 10 years ago when we were going through some difficult performance periods are now cleared up. That helps our employees. It helps our current clients. It helps our prospective clients. And it really provides a lot of excitement for where we're going in the future. You can plead the fifth on this, um, but I'm curious, was there ever a point along the way where you questioned whether or not you really wanted to run the firm or your father questioned whether or not you were the right one to run the firm? Yes. I mean, anybody that says no is lying to you. Um, I think that that is human nature. It's hardwired into who we are as human beings um, to wonder, to question, we have a deep desire to matter and belong. And if, if you find somebody who says that that isn't how they're wired or that they don't think about those things, uh, I think they're either lying or they're not being thoughtful. So yeah, absolutely. We had every type of high and low you could imagine. Um, so there were a lot of hugs uh, for, for happy moments and a lot of hugs for saying, sorry, I did that or sorry, I said that. Um, and that is, I think, part of the culture that we want as an organization where my team knows that I'm going to be accountable to them. I'm going to be vulnerable with them and that people can challenge me. Uh, and I give my father a lot of credit for that because he he laid that foundation where people could challenge him. Uh, and that, I think, has built something really healthy at Southern Sun where we have a lot of conflict, but it's healthy conflict. We've learned healthy conflict over the last 15 years. Humans aren't natural. I have three kids. They're not naturally good at conflict. It's something you learn over a very long period of time. Uh, and I think that we've learned that culturally 
and it makes us better investors and hopefully makes us better partners for our clients as well. I believe it does. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. And I think you're right. I think that transparency and vulnerability, again, we mentioned it before, but those are important cultural traits. And you model that for your team. You model that for your clients, that they can ask a tough question and you'll do your best to answer it. And I, I think that's important parts of the DNA of a successful firm. And, and again, I'll, I'll tie it back to since I'm always thinking about our, our portfolio companies, it's something we expect from our management teams. Yeah. We have to have that connection. We want business leaders to run their organizations in a way that creates that healthy culture of conflict and accountability and transparency so that we can know what we're getting from the leaders of our businesses. Because if you own a business for a decade, you're going to have something unforeseen, something negative occur, whether directly within the business or in the environment around them. And we need to know how they're going to respond and how their organizations are going to respond. That's a big part of our investment process. And uh, certainly would seem less than genuine if we didn't expect that out of ourselves. Yeah, that's fair. I always say um, you'd never really understand somebody's character until the stuff starts flying and you see how they respond and act. And I think that's uh, I, th I think that's generally true. Um, it's hard to get a hold of that, but starting with that transparency and vulnerability and, and those attributes is at least a good place to start. And that's that's um, one of the reasons why I wouldn't take away the the challenges that we've had as a firm. I look back to, to moments where our performance wasn't good and, and things were hard for a couple of years. Uh, I wouldn't take that back because it showed us who we were. Um, it showed me who the people on our team are and who I need to be the best that we can be going forward. So it allowed us to really form the team in a way that wouldn't have happened without those challenges. And now I know that I have a team, I know how they're going to act in the ups mm -hmm. and the downs. And that really gives us a lot of confidence about how we're going to make decisions going forward. Yeah. I'm curious, have you ever walked away from an investment idea that was a good business, looked like a good investment, but you weren't getting that from the management team? Yes, that has happened. It's even happened here in the last few years. The examples that come to mind most readily are businesses where there was a change in management. So a CEO left, a new CEO was brought in that CEO started to build out a team and their framework for culture, for capital allocation, for incentives, what metrics matter to drive behavior within the organization were misaligned from what we're looking for in a management team. And so, yes, I can absolutely say that there are uh, a couple of those here, even in the last five, six years. There's one just from a, maybe two years ago where we sold the business because of that misalignment with management and their philosophy, their uh, thinking, their level of transparency and accountability had changed. And while we still we're still watching the business, actually, because that management team has now been moved out. So oh. they uh, they were brought in. 
maybe not to our surprise, it wasn't going to work. What they were what they were putting together. Um, now that team's uh, been replaced again, and so again, I think if there's a durable business there, that's one thing. But you also have to have that leadership, and they they go hand in hand for us. So we can't have just a great business or a great financial statement absent of, of the type of leadership that we're looking for. And, and, and likewise, you can't have a great leadership with a business that uh, is limited in their capacity to really drive results. So we're looking for both and we will absolutely buy and sell based on the balance, as you said earlier, the balance between those two. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's let's turn and talk about ownership. It's come up a couple times in our conversation, um, and I think Southern Sun has a very interesting ownership history. It's a topic that's near and dear to Rosemont's heart, uh, in large part because it's the core of our business and what we do as minority investors in asset and wealth management, but also because we are part of the Southern Sun story, having um, been part of a chapter or two along the way. It's interesting that only in 2020 did Southern Sun become 100% employee owned. Didn't start that way. I think you mentioned some clients initially had some equity stakes. And so having an outside investor has always been part of the story until just recently. So can you take us through the ownership path? Um, And then I I want to talk about why being 100% employee owned or even majority employee owned um, for that matter is, is important for a business like yours. Yeah. So I'm glad you're asking me this question, not my father. There wouldn't be enough time in the podcast for his response to the ownership history of the firm. Um, <laughs> I'll try to give you the the condensed version. But yeah, you're exactly right. We just had a sort of carousel of outside owners and we were subject to the whims of their needs and their desires and sometimes that matched our own and others it didn't. So when I started here in 2006, um, that was one of our first discussions. I said, long term, we've got to get this to a place where we have control of our future. To your point, maybe doesn't have to be 100% employee owned. That would be our long term obje- uh, objective. But we certainly want to be majority employee owned. How do we how do we make that happen? How do we have clarity on who our partners are going to be for the long term? So uh, that doesn't happen overnight. As you mentioned, uh, we partnered with Rosemont back in 2010 as really the the first real step in our journey of of trying to get to where we are now. And we were able to partner with you guys to take out a collection of individual owners who are not industry experts in our field um, and consolidate that into a more institutional uh, fashion with the long-term goal being, how can we bring the rest of the equity in-house? So uh, that conversation started in 2006. It took us 14 years to get to a place, but you have to have a lot of things aligned. You've got to have the capital. In 2006, when I started, we didn't have the capital to buy our firm back. Um, So that's why we partnered with you guys after the GFC was finding 
the capital to, to move us towards our goals. And I think that's an important part of it. You know, a lot of times in life, we, we set long-term goals and our human nature is I want to get there fast. The sensible way to get there, the, the wise path isn't always the fastest path. And for us, we recognize that we may have to take steps to get to where we're going, not one step. And indeed, that has been our reality. But we needed capital on our side. We never wanted to take on a lot of debt to buy our firm back. Um, We didn't want to put the business in that position because, again, we're running small cap equity. We we run a, a, a portfolio that is relatively concentrated 20 to 25 businesses, and we felt like it wouldn't be prudent to go and put the business under a significant amount of debt. So big step for us to to partner with you guys and sort of consolidate outside individual owners. The biggest step being 2020, where we were able to buy ourselves back and be 100% employee owned. And now uh, to your question about why that's important, I think A, it gives our employees uh, significant clarity. It allows us to retain and attract the talent that we need to be the best that we can be at what we're passionate about. And that is, I cannot stress enough how important that is to have a team that's aligned towards a common horizon, moving towards it with some level of clarity. And then almost equally as important, it allows our clients to know what they're getting themselves into. They know who we are, they know why we're making decisions, and they don't have to wonder whether there's parties external to the relationships they have at Southern Sun that might influence the types of decisions that we make. So again, one of the things that we provide for our clients is access to and relationships with the people that make the decisions for Southern Sun on the investment side, on the business side, you know who you're dealing with. And I think that provides a lot of of clarity and a lot of alignment with clients that's super important as we're trying to build a business thoughtfully. Yeah, that's fair. I think, um, so one piece in there that's worth mentioning is Rosemont exited its stake by selling to AMG. Yes. Um, and that was 2013, I want to say. It was announced late um, 2013 and closed early 2014. Yep. Um, and then, so when you bought yourself back in 2020, it was from AMG. Correct. Yes. We bought ourselves yep. back from AMG in 2020. Um, and I remember being at SEI and doing work on Southern Sun when Rosemont was an investor and afterwards. And thinking about that, to your point about having an outside equity holder whose interests need to be considered. And I had known Rosemont, always knew it as a, a helpful and thoughtful minority partner to firms like yours, not calling the shots. But there's there are interests there that have to be represented. And you knew there was going to be a transaction at some point given the private equity fund model that it was held in. Um, and so you knew there was an event and there was some uncertainty and, and some potential uh, conflict of interest in the exit. Maybe, maybe not, um, but it created uncertainty as an allocator. 
And then you have AMG, which could have lasted as a partner forever, as far as I know. I don't know, is there was a fund structure? No, that's correct. Yep. Uh, and now you're 100% employee owned and you call all the shots without external stakeholders who need to be considered in that. You said 16 years ago, there was uh, a goal set to be 100% employee owned. And I'm just thinking, playing out the string from there, if you've had some cyclicality in your asset base, and it it feels to me like there was some opportunism in buying yourself back, um, if, if you had been at an asset high watermark, the firm would have been much more expensive and harder to acquire back. No question. You know we're value investors at heart, so we're lo- we're always looking for a good deal. When we uh, when we look to buy out our partners originally uh, with the help of Rosemont, it was right after the GFC. Um, assets weren't at a high watermark then, and then in 2020, buying ourselves back from AMG, assets were not at a high watermark uh, at that point either. So clearly, uh, some contrarian nature in us allows us to be uh, opportunistic when we see an opportunity that we think presents long-term value. And could we have done that in 2010? That would have been great, but we didn't have the capital to do it. So uh, 2020 was really the time that we had the capital to do that. And AMG was a great partner and uh, very thankful for their willingness uh, in that moment in time, especially given the, the nature of what was happening the spring of 2020 with the the outbreak of COVID. So uh, there was a whole lot of uncertainty at that point in time. Our wives were really not sure about the idea of us buying back our firm when we couldn't find toilet paper uh, or get in the grocery store. So it was a dicey uh, situation from that vantage point, certainly felt very contrarian at that point in time. Uh, But that's how we're wired. And when we believe in a business, whether it's our own or one that we've been researching for years, uh, I think we lean into that and we're, we're willing to take risk, but it's super calculated risk. We know what risk we're taking. We knew what we were buying when we were buying Southern Sun. And uh, again, very thankful that AMG was open to that concept because uh, it, we weren't part of a fund. It was a forever capital type structure and really required that they be amenable to uh, our management buyout. So um, good relationship with them, but we were opportunistic and were able to get that done in a, in a very short period of time there in the early part of 2020. Yep. Uh, that's the nice thing about permanent capital. As you know, that's where Rosemont is now, that we're not beholden to a fund structure or a timeline. So we can be indefinite owners, but always wanting to be cooperative and respectful of our partner's wishes. And you know, we don't have an intent to sell, but if our partners ever came to us and said, we think this makes a lot of sense for us and we'd like to do it, uh, you know, that's something that that's a conversation you have. And you try to, we, you know, we, we always pride ourselves on being good partners. I think our relationship with Southern Sun is hopefully emblematic of that and that, you know, we've been out of the investment for 10 years yeah. or almost That's 10 awesome. years and, uh, you know, still friendly and try to be helpful when we can and have good conversations like this one. And um, so appreciate that a lot. I, I'm curious about the equity opportunity within the firm. I don't know what your cap table looks like now. Um is there a thought process around broader participation 
And how do you affect that? And how does equity transition over time internally? Yeah, as uh, we've learned a lot about equity transitions over time, and we've seen different models because we've had different outside owners. We absolutely want to broaden ownership. We just uh, actually brought Angela Wimmer, who was just named president, on as an owner earlier this year. Uh, Our internal team knows that equity ownership is is possible. And that is part of uh, how we align our team with our clients over time. So my father and I still own over 50% of the, the equity, but beyond our ownership, we have, we have a number of other owners. So we believe it's important to attract and retain talent. We think that we have to be really thoughtful about how we do that um, and how it fits into a larger compensation structure. The point I think you're leading toward is alignment and having people aligned on the, the outcome for the overall firm and its clients and kind of that esprit de corps and teamwork that goes along with that. Um, I'm curious if you have a view on equity purchases versus equity grants and people putting skin in the game and having to write checks versus it being viewed as part of their compensation. We have a long history now uh, of having our internal owners have skin in the game and write checks for equity. Uh, It's been an important part of that alignment with clients, alignment with each other as an internal ownership group. And that dates back to days well before we we owned a majority of the firm internally, we still had equity that we could make available to internal owners. And we wanted uh, there to be skin in the game. We think that's important as it relates to client alignment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's generally the approach that we uh, appreciate as well is that willingness to take some risk and and have, you know, have a stake in the outcome, whether it's positive or negative. I think there's nothing more aligning than, you know, having to look at your own balance sheet and say, what I do here really matters. And, um, you know, we've made a commitment and stepped up. And I think, you know, the message that we try to make with clients and prospects now is nothing is more evident of our belief in Southern Sun and, and what we're doing and our alignment with clients than writing very large checks in 2020 to buy ourselves back from AMG. So we had a group of individuals, not just one person, really putting a whole lot of skin in the game to say, we're in the boat with you, our clients. And we believe that our performance is going to generate results for you. And that will in turn generate results for us internally. And so to see an ownership group rally around an opportunity, go out and write those checks, uh, puts us in, in a great position. And as you can tell, our, our performance has been good since then. And I think that the message we hear from clients is very positive around that uh, connection with our clients' objectives. Yep. Well, that's great. I, I, I think the story is great. Congratulations on buying yourselves back. Congratulations on the recent changes that you've announced and, um, you know, the kind of new leadership that's that's been emerging and um, is now 
maybe the titles are catching up, but um, I think you guys have been thoughtful and I uh, appreciate your time today in walking through a lot of these things. And, you know, I hope that we continue to have these conversations. I've enjoyed it. We've, we've gone on longer than I anticipated, but I think that's because it's a, it's a good story. It's fun to talk about. Thank you, Brad. It's always good to be with you. And uh, we really appreciate Rosemont and the long-term relationship we've had with you guys, uh, admiring what you're doing from our vantage point and uh, certainly look forward to continuing that relationship. 